Welcome to Social Fishtancing, a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. This is our continuing coverage of the impacts of COVID-19 on coastal fisheries and fishing communities. I'm surprised that our industry did as well as it did. I uh, just feel very humbled by COVID-19. What I'm most proud of is like our ability to adapt as humans. Hello, I'm your co-host, Philip Loring. I'm joined by... Emily D'Souza. And I'm Hannah Harrison. If you're new to Coastal Roots, we're an international collaboration of communities, scholars, activists, and others who are interested in supporting the health, resilience, and sustainability of coastal communities around the world. This is our 22nd episode of Social Fishing, And though it is bittersweet to say, our last episode of the podcast series. Our first episode launched on April 20th of 2020, and nearly a year later, we've been able to tell a huge range of stories about the many ways small-scale fishing folks have dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic. But as the vaccine gets distributed, we have reached a natural stopping point for the story we set out to tell. We have had many amazing guests join us to share their stories of resilience and creativity. And in that time, we've really only scratched the surface of countless pressing issues. Rural communities on the brink, the loss of working waterfronts, and the steep hill that small-scale operators have to climb to be successful in a global seafood system geared toward the big guys. Of course, we've also encountered stories of great loss. As we record this, we mourn and remember the over 750,000 people in North America and 2.7 million globally who have lost their lives to COVID-19. While we are just beginning to understand the devastation of those losses, We are grateful that this podcast has allowed us to build many wonderful relationships with our guests over the past year. So for our last episode, we want to share with you where our most regular and featured guests find themselves one year into COVID. So we got in touch one last time to take stock of what has changed, what hasn't, and what they're hoping for in the fishing season to come. Today we hear from Jordan Katzlinger, Steve Curian, Melissa Collier, Emma Kramer, Tracy Sylvester, and Carson Miner. While we can't bring everyone on, one lesson we have learned this season is that you can have too many voices in a single episode. We want to share with you some interview excerpts that provide some closure to the big story arcs that we've heard throughout the year. When we first started, I was having weekly conversations with Melissa Collier of West Coast Wild Scallops in BC, and I'd love to start with her. A year ago, when COVID-19 first emerged, things looked pretty different for Melissa. Yeah, a year ago, we had finished our scallop season, had all of this product, and then markets crashed, and we were sitting on all this product not knowing what we were going to do with it and what we were going to get stuck with and the finances of having it sitting cold storage and such an unpredictable year. I, I remember I worked so hard last spring trying to find new avenues to sell our product, new product flow. Um, I remember just looking in online and trying to find every fish shop within a good distance from us, you know, that we could reasonably ship to and see if we could get them to take some scallops. And the number of times people were like, well, no, we love your scallops, but people just don't buy them. And they're a little bit too different. It was, it was terrifying back then. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was terrifying to try to figure out what you were going to do with all this product. And it was going to cost you so much 
to sit there. And of course, you don't want it to go to waste. I mean, that's like fisherman's nightmare. I would have rather left it in the water than put it into waste any day. This year, Melissa's outlook is much more positive, in large part because of the changes that she and her family made during COVID-19. In particular, their partnership with the CSF Skipper Autos has transformed their ability to fish since they now have a more secure market for their product. It's actually really exciting for us. It's the first year that Scouts hasn't been a huge risk or a huge upfront financial burden. We've already been paid from Skip Rados for the first round. <laughs> so it's absolutely incredible to be in that situation. And as much as COVID is horrible and it's really, you know, everyone's been suffering and it's, and it's a horrible thing, there has been this huge movement towards supporting local and supporting our labors and buying local. And I'm sure as you guys have seen, and as all of the listeners have heard, the amount of people that have pivoted to local sales and have bloomed Mm -hmm. because of that desire and that demand. And, you know, for us, we're actually in a better situation now than we have been pre-COVID with our scallop business. Something that really sticks out to me from this interview are the lasting changes that Melissa sees for local food systems. This pivot is not necessarily just out of desperation for fishermen or need for fishermen. It's more than that. Obviously, we've switched to selling local. All of our prawns had always been exported. Mm -hmm. And this year, or I should say last year, 2020, a substantial amount of our prawns stayed local. And that was really new for us. And that's something that we would like to continue to do. And same with our salmon. Partly because of prices and relationships and partly because of just the desire to have our fish to stay in Canada. And we were really excited to sell locally. And as we've talked about, there needs to be the infrastructure to allow fishermen to sell local. We had this perfect storm of horrible export prices plus increase and desire of local demand plus infrastructure being thrown in place so that we could make those connections. So it's not that we didn't want to sell local. It's just the fact that it was logistically not really feasible for us to sell local in the past. Melissa and her family aren't the only ones who've seen the impact of COVID-19, bringing about more permanent changes. Steve Curian, who fishes for salmon out of Bristol Bay, Alaska, and sells them through his business, Wild for Salmon in Pennsylvania, had this to say when I caught up with him last week. We've continued to have strong sales on the online and through our store. COVID really kind of put a jumpstart in both of those programs. Our wholesale is starting to slow a little bit, um, still above last year's numbers. So I do believe people have really thought about where their food comes from and making sure that they have a source that they can trust and that has, has the products they need. The local brick and mortar, we found a lot of people that knew about us, but never came in, kind of have showed up at the door and have been coming back. Um, so again, it kind of like maybe jumpstarted the local, the food market again, in a sense, what I'm most proud of is like our ability to adapt as humans and to, to figure out how to keep the wheels on the bus through a pandemic like that. Steve believes that a good legacy of the last year will be how people think about the role of local producers, whether fishers or farmers in our food systems. I mean, I would, I would thank all of the people that supported local fisheries um, through the years. And then as they, like you said, the international system shut down, 
and you know the grocery stores were having problems keeping things on the shelf, we were able to show how important it is to have um, a diverse food system, whether whether it's farming or fishing, and that everybody contributes from small family fishermen to a corporate fishing operation. And it drives the point home to me on big industry taking over fishing. It's just one of those moments where you realize that everybody matters um, if you're feeding five families or you're feeding 5,000 families. Let's go now to California, where over the past year, we've checked in with Jordan Castlinger at Tuna Harbor Dockside Market in San Diego. It's crazy to, to think that it's already been a year because it had just started, you know, yesterday, last week. You know, I think long after whatever we return to, whatever people are going to consider normal, it's not going to feel normal, like what we once considered normal, at least not for a while. Jordan and her fishing community had to pivot quickly when COVID hit. Whereas before, customers would come down to the docks to buy fresh fish directly from fishermen, suddenly everything had to be sold at a distance. Jordan and the other market members implemented social distancing protocols at the market and started offering online sales for customers who weren't comfortable shopping in person. So I think we're going to keep practicing a lot of the things that we've put into motion in the last year. I think we're going to keep around our online ordering and the systems that we've put into place in terms of like the organization of having a capacity on the pier just because before when it was every man for themselves and they could, you know, people were running in front of other people and yelling and shouting. And so it was, it's just, it makes more sense to keep the practices that we've started implemented, which is crazy that to also think you didn't know you need until you're kind of forced into it. The market also got a lot of media attention during the pandemic, but the way that Jordan describes it, the changes they've seen are going to outlast the headlines. In January, we were on a CNBC show that they did. They highlighted the market and the fishing industry. And I was on there and a couple of the other local fishermen were on there. And so it was funny for the first couple of weeks, people would come up and be like, oh, we saw you on Streets of Dreams, whatever. And and for a couple of weeks, that's really when we had like a pouring in of followers. And then after that, I don't, I feel like I don't even know when like the city or the local newspapers do a story on us or like cover us because then the following weeks people are saying that they saw us in the newspaper or we're just I think so used to being there every weekend that it's funny when people are like oh we've been here we've grown up here or like we've lived here our entire lives and we've never heard of this place or been here and we actually in the last year have hit not even last year I think it was like a month ago we hit 10,000 followers on our social media which is a big deal for me because when I started doing it we um, we're at like 300 followers and this was like five years ago, but we recently just hit 10,000 and it just like shows the continued interest that we have, which has been really, really nice. It's funny f- to see people like asking for certain things because they're coming from three hours away or super inland in the desert and, but then also being able to, you know, provide them with what they're coming for. So it's nice to see that people are that committed to like the local seafood scene that they are willing to make like a day out of getting themselves fish. I feel like it took, unfortunately, for something like this, for us all to kind of take a step back and reevaluate the way that we were doing things. And Mm -hmm. 
I feel like we at the market, especially, and just like in my own like personal life, I feel like I've learned a lot of valuable, <laughs> valuable things in the last year, but I'm definitely ready for some sense of normalcy again. Finally, let's make one last stop in Alaska, where Emma Kramer and her husband Curtis run straight to the plate, a community-supported fishery in Girdwood. They fish the Copper River salmon runs in Alaska's Prince William Sound, and last year, in addition to the stressors of COVID-19, the run essentially went bust, leaving Emma and many other fishermen in a tight spot. When I caught up with Emma last week, though, things were looking up for 2021. I am excited to see what we're going to do. Our boat's ready. We're ready. We were able to use a lot of uh, money from CARES Act that we got to put right into expenses of getting new brailer bags and getting our nets ready. And so I feel really prepared and the uncertainty is more just with mother nature and the health of the oceans. I feel more drawn to selling fish individually because I don't want to exploit the research. And I also feel that it's the means to, to communicate the beauty of where we're fishing. And so if I'm only selling it to the tenders and the corporations, you know, that just gets lost and this resource is precious. So I really feel like as, as we see the, the possibilities of our catch grow smaller, it's even more important to just sell it with intention. So I think that's what I'm looking forward towards in this season. Emma and Curtis previously sold a portion of their catch to a few local businesses, including a whitewater rafting company out of Girdwood that offered clients a salmon bake. Last year, with the tourism market demolished by COVID, the rafting company couldn't buy their fish. But thankfully, that company survived. We were grateful that uh, the two businesses that we sell to regularly did sign on again for this summer, one being a restaurant and the other being a rafting company, because last year, only one of those ended up working out. They just had to downsize everything. So so there's a, a, bit, a bit of a feeling that Alaska is you know, going to have tourism come back However, we aren't having ferry systems. So I think for us, the way that COVID's really changed stuff is that there's no need for us to keep, to take it out of state. And I, we do have, you know, people inquiring and, and we, we are a CSF, so we will deliver a box, but I'm, I'm wondering about changing that business model because I, I feel less sure of the timing on that. And am I, are we going to lose out on product? And I also just know that the need around us exists. And so I think if anything, COVID's made us just kind of hone down the model and see that we're fortunate that we have a market around us between Alaskans and tourists to just focus on this year. Having seen the value of local food during COVID, Emma and her family are also looking for ways to innovate around food systems in their small town. I thought about, you know, starting a fisherman's co-op, which is still on the the back shelf. But I also just was like, what can we do with uh, food markets in our town? Um, I know, you know, Homer has the food hub. So I, I asked about becoming a satellite to that, and they're really excited about it, but we just have to get a, a few more people that could actually be vendors. So throughout the winter of my webinars and my networking, I was like, what can we do to bring more local food options to our town, Girdwood, which we're, we are just like this mini little town of, of open-minded people ready to support the right project, but we're so limited by the businesses that can survive here. And so... Right now, our trailer, um, of course, it has snow machines in it, but soon we'll empty it out, convert it to this little fish trailer. And uh, we're pretty grateful to have an opportunity to park it uh, in a more long-term spot 
which would allow us to not have to have the generator every time to keep things cold, but also we're hoping to be surrounded on Saturdays by a few other vendors. And some of those are going to be vegetable vendors and some artists. And so it was, was based out of a need for, yes, our own selfish way to sell, but really it was also like, you know, Girdwood is just looking for more options of food right in our town. And we see these great little things springing up in other communities. And so I, I'm excited that uh, some of what we might start would lead to a little bit more of a farmer's market and maybe being part of the food hub because that's really where it's at with food systems right now. Emma and I also talked about how the federal and state financial resources that were made available during the pandemic really made a difference for their business. I, I really can't say enough about it. I, I was a little a little uh, bitter in the beginning when neither my husband and I qualified for unemployment and it, it, it bugged me, right? And I understood why, but we'd been small business owners with a cafe for 15 years and we paid into unemployment, but we paid into it as employers. So I was like, this system is broken and, and our fishing season pretty much tanked. And halfway through the season, my accountant reached out and you know I knew there was some stuff going on, but I wasn't paying attention. But really, I, I will give the credit to my accountant for saying, you should do this. And I got back and did the necessary paperwork, which really wasn't hard as long as you keep accounts throughout the time. And so it was very achievable. And it was it was really amazing for, you know, I think in October was when we received the money, <clears throat> which was perfect because we had time and we just made a big list of how to focus on paying off the truck, paying off the boat, you know, through the period that we could do because our overhead is high. We're, we're new into this. It wasn't, wasn't inherited in the family. So it, it allowed us not only to pay bills, but it allowed us to have peace of mind. And we really tried to do our best with it. I, I'm proud. As we sign off, we want to extend our heartfelt gratitude to all the guests who have joined us and the listeners who have helped make this series a success. Stories matter. They're the only way, I think, to see through the numbers and statistics and endless stream of bad news clickbait, to stay connected to the shared humanity and lived experiences of the people around us. Thanks for joining us. Social Fishing is a production of Coastal Roots Radio at the University of Guelph. Over the past year, it has been our pleasure to bring you the voices and stories of small-scale fishermen and women from around North America and beyond. These interviews and episodes were recorded week to week throughout the first year of the pandemic, and we are deeply grateful to the many people who have shared their stories with us in such an unpredictable and difficult time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned for Volume 2 of Coastal Roots Radio. Coastal Connections, stories from the Atlantic. To connect with us or the Coastal Roots Atlantic team, please visit us on the Coastal Roots website at www.coastalroots.org. Coastal Roots Radio is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Errol Food Institute at the University of Guelph, and the Miopar Network. We also receive support from the American Anthropological Association and the Local Catch Network. Our deep appreciation to the voices that you heard in this episode, Jordan Castlinger, Steve Kirian, Melissa Collier, Emma Kramer, Tracy Sylvester, and Carson Miner. We also want to thank Buck Jones, who was unable to appear in this episode, but who has been a very important part of this podcast. Thank you. You're listening to In Perspective, 
by El Rey Music, licensed from premiumbeats.com. See you next time.